Welcome to Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. We're here to help you take your health, fitness, and mindset to the next level. It's time to level up. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Level Up with Sherelle and Danny. Today we are talking about weight loss stalled. Now what? Yeah, it's a common problem and I think it's mm. um, it's very cool, Danny, because we're both in deficits at the moment. So yep. given everything that's going on, you know, um, Danny's shared that she's not competing anymore and it's still up in the air even whether the shows are going to go ahead. But mm. we're both still in deficit. We're both still sort of going through the process and dieting. So it's a very timely episode because we're both probably having to navigate some of these challenges um, and we're here today to really discuss and get into them. Absolutely, because there's so much to weight loss. And, you know, you might get some great momentum at the start. And normally when you do start in a calorie deficit, the weight comes off nicely and then bang, we hit a roadblock. Nothing's really moving. And Mm. today we'll be sharing some of the reasons why. Yeah, absolutely. And I really just wanted to start by saying that whether you're in a deficit or not, like you have to be ready to do that. Like you have to be physically, mentally, like psychologically, emotionally ready to go into a dieting phase because a lot of the times, and I don't want to be like, you know, stereotypical or anything, but women will constantly live in dieting phases or low Mm. calories. And this is like one of the biggest reasons as to why compliance becomes hard because you forever feel like you're restricting. And that's just really exhausting at the end of the day. Absolutely. It is a commitment to be in a calorie deficit sufficiently Mm. without cheating yourself, wasting your time and all of that. So as you said, you definitely have to be ready. You have to be doing it for the right reasons um, Mm. and then doing it safely as well. Like none of these really crash diets where you're in a severe deficit, you know, um, ease into it. And and Mm. we were talking about earlier that we would never really diet for less than 12 weeks, you know, mm. despite seeing all the six-week, eight-week challenges or mini cuts, all of these words that burn our ears and our souls. Like <laughs> we know that they're not sustainable. You have to commit mini, to the process. Fucking mini cuts. Yeah, <laughs> really well said. And I also wanted to say, like someone asked me the other day and it sort of triggered a thought in me with like where, how how long was my longest build? And it has mm-hmm. been since we've last competed. Yep. I haven't really gone gone into a dieting phase since then like I had a small dieting phase when we tried to compete like oh, yeah. <laughs> first, I don't even know the first time around but not really um in terms of like metabolic adaptations and stress on the body etc so I would say like for me personally like 12 to 18 months I've sort of been yep. in maintenance mode fit physically and mentally, right? Yeah. Very important to understand that both of. Um, I've been dieting for a little while now, but before that, you know, it was a solid period of um, physical and psychological work mm. to prepare me for a deficit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And at the start of my dieting, when I was going to compete, maybe how long would we have been dieting for? I think you were a little bit longer than me now. Yeah. Um, it's been a couple of months. Remember. But yeah. the first thing, the, one of the first things that I did, aside from obviously lowering my calories um, slightly, was actually just going for more walks, you know, being more mindful, which we'll talk about later. But, um, you know, being in a deficit and dieting isn't just about restricting food, okay? It's about mm-hmm. promoting positive lifestyle changes, getting out and about more, changing your workout. So it's a whole transformation, which I love because I always feel so good doing it when I'm yeah. ready. 
Yeah, mm. very much a holistic approach, which I know we're, yeah. we're both about. It's not just about what you eat. It's about how you train. It's about how you move. It's about how you sleep, how you recover, how you think. Yep. Like it's about everything. So I guess we'll just get into it. Um, otherwise, we'll just end up doing the podcast about going over the That's <laughs> the so <dog>. true. <laughs> but the first reason why the scales may not be moving is because you may not be in a deficit. And mm. I don't want to be that person that stands up and, and says, well, you're not in a calorie deficit because we're all sick of hearing that. But it's definitely the first thing that has to be ruled out. And there can be a number of reasons because of this. It's really the over, um, like the umbrella of why we stop losing anyways is because the deficit is impacted. But compliance or accuracy would have to be up there as one of the most important things that people tend to underestimate in a dieting Mm. phase and Mm. they show this in research by the way they research compliance and accuracy when it comes to us guesstimating certain things and serving sizes and how like incorrect we actually are yeah for sure because yes over the time of tracking macros you learn how to eyeball things and you get Mm -hmm. a pretty good idea and sometimes you know we measure things um or we we grab an amount and then put it on the scales and it's exactly what we wanted and we all have those moments but then we are so inaccurate. And even though there is the advice, you know, when you do go out, overestimate, we might be overestimating to the point where the next day we're bloody starving because we just overestimated too much. Yeah, I, yeah. So that's where, yeah, you have to be accurate in what you are consuming. And most of the time, if you're not losing weight, you're not in a deficit. It's mm. simple as that. Yeah, for sure. And like you said, I'm pretty good at being like, that's 200 grams. I swear. Oh, how good. Like the pumpkin, like I've already uh, weighed out 200 grams of pumpkin, like for the last three years, at least freaking <laughs> once a day. So I'm pretty good at that. But yeah, I definitely have things where, like what you said, like when I eat out, I'll overestimate um, yeah. because we're in a deficit, like the goal is to, you know, sort of eat less. So you want to lean more towards that when you're estimating anyways. Yeah. But then in particular, like, for example, I'm not big on, and this is my own personal thing, but I'm not really big on like, um, being so diligent with things like broccoli or spinach, you oh, know, like right. I'm not going to yeah. weigh that out to the gram. It's just not something I've ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to things like fats, for example, well, they're very calorie dense. You can't actually afford to be like a couple of grams over. So yeah. that's a non-negotiable in terms of like accuracy when it comes to that. It's like, okay, well, look, if things are starting to slow down, I might need to just really tighten up on like, you know, the sugar-free sources and like you're, you're really being accurate with your fats and your serving sizes and you know the licks sucks and bites that tend to come mm. out of the fridge door and those sorts of things so it's really about being so honest with yourself yeah um because the data doesn't lie that's and right. that's the hardest part like I don't want to be the person to be like well you're lying to your coach mm. but you've got to really sit back and be honest with yourself and reflect and sometimes yep. I'll say like if this happens in coaching I'll say okay on a scale of one to ten like ten being like absolutely bang on how compliant are you to the macros you've told me that you've uploaded you know because we're all humans and that's okay and if you can't be open and honest to your coach and be like look I didn't actually I I ate out one night and I didn't track it or look I have been having lick sucks and bites and I didn't track those Mm. super important to let your coach know 
Oh yeah, yeah. So when when I am competing, I don't leave any room for error. Like I I weigh everything. I'm very you know robotic. There's no emotion in it. Um, hence was you know half the reason why I chose not to compete because I want to be able to just be a bit more free with with those things. Um, but in terms of you know the old lick sucks and bites, classic examples: swig of the old almond milk out of the oh. fridge, or you know a bit of extra of sauce, or I'm loving tomato sauce and mustard on my omelets right oh, now i'm yum, loving them mm. you know or a little bit of peanut butter or you know as you mentioned a bit of fruit off your partner's plate it all does add up mm. over the week mm-hmm. um and and when it comes to eating out they normally always overdo the oil even oh. at some restaurants it's like can i have a side of veggies and it comes out and it's swimming i know like broccoli oil. swimming in oil and it's marcellaria like, Seriously. No, I no, no. Them. They do good steamed vegetables, Marcellaria. Yeah, but sometimes they put oil on my broccoli. Oh, you gotta know, you gotta have a stern word to the waiter beforehand. <laughs> now tell me about the broccoli, you know. Yeah. You, you gotta know everything about it. Exactly. Um, yeah. So which is yeah. Tough. And they're massive. They're massive things that will pull you out of that deficit. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, fats will really screw you over just because they are so calorie dense. It's really important to make sure that, you know, you're not getting extras. And one thing I did see a video on Facebook and it was like this Chinese restaurant and it was like the lady ordered steamed rice. And then it showed you in the kitchen, the guy Mm. was making the steamed rice and he was literally cracking eggs into it and then like putting coconut oil and whisking it all in and then put in the little cup and then put it on her plate and then she logged like one cup of steamed rice oh, oh no that's like your nightmare oh, isn't it? but you don't know and that's no. the thing is like when I get to like maybe about 12 weeks out no eating out you no. know I just and this is the hard part with comp prep it's it's not all or nothing but you do know that you know accuracy is super important and if you're not overestimating, and even when you are, you're still guesstimating. If not overestimating, you know, it's just not worth it. It's just not, not worth, worth it. No, no. Anyways. Nah. But there is a big difference between being in a comp prep or being in like a lifestyle deficit. I don't know. I just yes. made that made up that term, but I kind of like it. I feel like I'm in a lifestyle deficit right now. So I'm yeah. going to coin that. Yeah, no, um, 100%. I can get away with that. Obviously, my results aren't going to be as amazing. But when you are aiming to get on the stage at a pro level, it's very different. Mm. You don't want to leave any stone unturned. Mm. So, yeah, yeah there I is a difference. I think that's a really important point though, Danny, because, you know, if I've got um, a client who's like, oh, I've got a wedding coming up, like, should I take my food? I'm like, no, let's just add a day to your diet. Like it's totally fine. Like you don't lose the skills. You want to still be able to have a life because you're not a competitor. And I don't know who's prefaced this. Anyone who goes through a deficit has to eat and live like a bodybuilder. It's not the case. You know, we need to be able to have flexibility as well. So Mm. super important to understand that you don't have those restrictions um that someone who six weeks out of a show does yeah yeah exactly right and those restrictions you know when you are six weeks out of a show are by choice because Mm. you know we want to win our category we want to be amazing at the sport and it does involve you know shaping your body by using food exercise and lifestyle so we choose that yeah i just have to make that clear yeah you're up weight loss can mask fat loss Mm. So your weight loss is never, ever, ever, ever linear. And I know you like to weigh every day. Personally, I don't just because, Um, but yeah, you would notice that daily it changes. Yeah. 
for sure. Mm. And I think as well, this, especially as women, there's so many other variables that impact weight. Mm. And I know that we have such a stigma and association to the scales because of freaking shapemagazine.com and all these <laughs> sorts of things that tell you to lose five kilos and that you should be this weight, etc. Yeah. But you know, we have to detach fat loss from weight loss. Yes, mm. the scales will go down indirectly over time, right? It's a, I guess it's a byproduct of fat loss. We can't fixate yep. on the scales. It's going to do it. Like if you're mm. worrying about the, the the process and the deficit and doing all the things, that result will happen. That yep. is useful data. And like I said, there's so many variables. Like we know a menstrual cycle, like a huge one mm. in that. And not even just the bleeding part, but also ovulation. Like you have a oh, lot of fluid retention. Yeah, yeah sure. I'm, I'm way heavier in ovulation than bleeding. Yeah, yeah. Good so one, my, two kilos. Yeah, so my trend will be like, you know, the first two weeks, follicular phase, like low, they're my low numbers that I'll usually average on the scale. And then just before I ovulate, like maybe two days before, I go up about only about half a kilo to one kilo, maybe fluctuating over that window. Mm -hmm. And then I'll drop back down for about a week and then it'll come back up. So when you're comparing your week, like compare week one to week one, not Mm. like week one to week three, because it's just going to be skewed. And this is just coming from looking at weight. You know, we, we need to be measuring in multiple other ways, but you're looking at the scales. We just need to be aware that there's so many variables when it comes to weight fluctuations. Yeah. And just on that menstrual menstrual cycle, the fluctuation, that's actually very healthy to be able Mm. to do that. Because I remember when I didn't have a period or or absence of bleeding, I had, you know, no, um, none of that ovulation bloating that you get where you can't really like brace and and all that. Like Mm. my, my data was linear. So the fact that it goes up, down, up, down, like, yes, this is good. This is meant to be happening. Like reward that. Yeah, for sure. Mm. And that's a great point, Danny. It's definitely something that I notice subjectively with a lot of the women that I work with because I get um, anyone who's in dieting phases, I get them to do daily weights. And um, anyone who's on contraception won't have those fluctuations. There you go. And women who are um, just naturally going through a normal cycle will and that's because Mm. they're having the peaks and troughs in um, progesterone which causes that inflammation fluid retention so Mm. super important to know doesn't mean anything right like I know before I get my period I'm like I've gained two kilos I feel it like uh, like that water layer that just goes over your abdomen that just gets rid of any definition yeah 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 so I think just knowing that that's going to pass like just sitting in it and being like, this is mm. going to come, it's going to go and then be fine. But um, sorry, and, and as well, thing. yeah, just use, um before we move on, just use photos and measurements as well as a guide as well. Yeah, like sure. aside from the scales, photos, measurements, how you feel, how your clothes feel. Yeah, I love exactly. those. Mm. And the other couple of points, I guess, is as well, like sleep. That's mm. a big one. Glorious um, sleep. <laughs> glorious I love sleep. sleep. But- Oh, don't we all? It's like the one good thing of lockdown. Yeah, true. Um, The one thing I was going to say there as well is when I was working shift work, scales were so unreliable for me, right? If I did like a late early, 
Like mm. I've gained freaking four kilos. Like I was a mess in night duty. I'd yeah. go up a couple of kilos and then lose a couple of kilos. And yeah. I think it's just so important to understand like that there's so many different variables that actually do impact weight. And, you know, you just need to be aware of them and that they actually, it's not you, it's the, it's the environment you're in. Yeah. Yeah. That is if you are adhering to your calorie deficit, but if you're not consider all of these, so sleep is massive and they all, I feel like sleep affects everything, you know, um, you're got higher cortisol, you're more hungry. Um, things just, things just feel worse when you don't get a good night's sleep. You don't recover as well. You ache, you don't, you know, that inflammation from your training hangs around a lot more. I really feel like sleep is like the foundation to all of those factors. Yeah. And I know we've spoken a lot about, um, we've done multiple episodes on sleep, but, and I don't want to get, get into it because I'll go down a rabbit hole. I'll go down (laughs) a rabbit hole, but there's a lot of research out there that does support, um, that sleep or I guess sleep deprivation or sleep fatigue um, hinders our ability to preserve muscle mass. So when mm. you actually lose weight, a greater percentage of that is going to come from lean um, lean muscle mass or lean body mass as well. So yep. making sure that you're getting like, if you're an athlete, like seven, eight, nine hours of sleep a night is only going to be one of those variables that se- sets you up for success physiologically yep. to burn body fat. A hundred percent. Yeah. So for anyone who has questions about sleep, have a listen to our other two sleep podcasts because we don't want to turn this into another sleep podcast, even though we could. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the other thing I do want to say is digestion. That's a huge oh, one. Oh yeah. my God. Okay. TMI. Can I have oh, a TMI? Moment? Please lay it on me. <laughs> okay. You guys know that I don't really consume artificial sweeteners and there is a uh. good freaking reason why (laughs) yesterday i thought you know what filling up my car i'm gonna have a sugar-free slushy you know what i don't treat myself this sort of stuff i know i thought so too (laughs) this asparta whatever that sweet straight straight in i lost i lost a kilo and a half overnight the old colonic cleanser literally (laughs) literally yeah oh, literally so Was there I gas, take... gas as well or just straight nah just straight no, through ga- i get a bit gassy sometimes oh just I nah, wish. straight to the money maker i i had it and i thought oh no <gasps> <laughs> but what i want to say is it goes both ways doesn't it so I lost a kilo and a half overnight, which is actually a lot for my body size. Like if you yeah. looked at, um, for some people that might not be a lot, right? That's but a lot, for man. Some, yeah, for someone who's 61 yeah. kilos, like that's a lot to lose overnight. Um, and it's clearly just because I've literally emptied out my colon and a lot of fluid as well, right? Yeah. So that's a lot. But I also want to mention that if you're dieting and you've increased your fiber target, it's going mm. to go the other way too. So just mm. be mindful if you're lowering calories and you're thinking, oh, I'm going to have to be more smarter with my food sources now. I'm going to increase my fiber and have more broccoli and those sorts of things. They also stay in your stomach. Like your stomach doesn't just empty like what happened to me last night. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't just empty. <laughs> 100%. So, you don't digest all that fiber and all that. You bloat yeah. and, yeah, it's the complete opposite. Mm. Yeah, and it masks weight loss. So you might actually be losing body fat. But, you know, there's extra volume that's hanging around in your stomach and for good reason, right? Mm. This is why fiber actually supports healthy weight loss. It's super important for us. Yeah, Um, but in the right amount. 
Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. And I just wanted to mention that because I know um, a lot of people, like if you're feeling bloated and if you're feeling gassy and if you're having issues and you've had like a late dinner or whatever it might be, they're all going to show up on the scales. Yeah. And when it comes to the, I post a lot of those calorie hack or artificial things as well amongst my normal food. But when I consume it, let's just say that new um, sugar-free maple syrup, one teaspoon at a time or a tablespoon at a time i don't yeah don't everyone go out and buy these things and get really excited and overdo it your body does not digest that shit you will bloat or whatever happened to you last night like be eat those things in moderation Um, (laughs) but they do have like my adherence i love it i get excited because it tastes good so for me and my mindset and my adherence to my calorie deficit they are great but don't just have a whole diet of that crap Yeah, yeah. Or if you're someone like that's like me and doesn't really consume a lot of that sort of stuff, like the <laughs> devil's in the dose. And <laughs> and I also mentioned the reason why a lot of those um, things have zero calories is because our body can't actually absorb it. Yeah. It doesn't recognize it as a carbohydrate or a fat or a protein. So it's it's designed to clear through our digestive tract. It's it not designed to be hungry. absorbed. Yeah, and the sweetness for me is another reason as to why I don't usually consume it when I'm hungry because it'll yeah. actually just make me hungrier and crave more sweets. So yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, for sure. So yeah, sort of moving on to kind of all of that, you know, alcohol as well. Um, mm. So as we were talking about before this, you know, we we rarely drink ever. Mm. Okay, those days are done, man. Particularly in a calorie deficit, like if I'm prepping for a show, I do not touch one drop of alcohol at all yeah. it was my birthday on tuesday i had some alcohol i'm yeah. a lightweight man one or two i was that was enough I'm like oh. okay finished which is the beauty of not drinking often but you know when mm. it comes to being in a calorie deficit there's just no benefits to having alcohol when you're no. dieting exactly not only is it empty calories um like there's there's nothing in it so there's no nutrients or anything like that um it also like the i guess alcohol breaks down is something called ethanol and it's it's got its own calorie index i can't don't quote me i can't remember how many calories it is but you know how like carbs fats and proteins have a certain amount ethanol has its own calorie index it's actually Mm. classified as its own sort of like nutrient but it's not nutritious yeah normally Um, i put it in as carbs so i think one shot of vodka is about 30 carbs or one small glass of wine um yeah Mm. about 30 grams of carbs yeah. And what it actually does though, ethanol in the body is actually seen as like a toxin or recognized in the body as a toxin. So mm. your body naturally tries to burn, I want to say burn that um, ethanol rather than the carbohydrates or the fats or the mm. other calories instead. And this yeah. is why um, when it's almost like when you've got alcohol in your um, bloodstream, your body will not burn fat. And I, I say this very like loosely, but yep. it'll prioritize burning the ethanol instead. So that's yep. why I almost think of it like a switch. Like as soon as you've got alcohol in your system, it's sort of like turning the fat burning process off. And yep. there's a lot of research to actually support this process. Of course. And then it all comes to, you know, the food that's consumed after a big night out. So you might have been okay oh, yeah. and had your, you know, your vodka and sodas or whatever, or Sambuca, which is my favorite. And it doesn't mm. actually have that many calories. Um, but it's the food that comes after. A, you're oh, not yeah. thinking rationally. B, you're dehydrated because you've been out or you've had some alcohol. You know, you want high salt, high fat, high carb meals, you know, the mm-hmm. classic kebab afterwards or, you know, people going to Macca's. It's just, it leads into another poor choice 
that yeah. I'd rather just not have, even though I, I don't eat all that. But, mm. you know, that's really where the damage is done in the mm. meals after the alcohol as well. Yeah. No one comes home and has like a Caesar salad after the, like, you, you go going to get your chips, cheese, and gravy, and steam, <laughs> your dimmies, aren't you? Your kebabs. You know, oh, those are the days. It's like the, it was like the one thing you did to make sure you weren't hung over the next day. You well, needed something greasy. You had to. Mm. Yeah, hangover cure, even though we all know that, yeah, that doesn't actually even work. So I don't know yeah. where that came from. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I used to feel better always if I would have like something heavy and cut. I used to have two Panadol and like just a big carb meal and I'd wake up fine. There you go. Yeah. But um, yeah, like when, again, when uh, competing, I just don't touch <laughs> alcohol. If I'm not, if I'm not, you know, lifestyle deficit, I had a couple of drinks on my birthday. I yeah, guess yeah. That's my view on it. Yeah, Gotta yeah, bloody enjoy it as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just about knowing. Like, knowing. there's nothing. If you want to have a drink on the weekend, by all means, log it, log your vodka, do all those things. But I think it's just being aware, like you know, drinking every night during a deficit or having a beer with dinner, it's probably not supporting the primary goal. And when it's yep. fat loss, get in, get out. Like, get in, yep. get your result, get out, find something more sustainable uh, that you can maintain as well. Love it. Yeah. All cool. right. Our last point. No, we missed one. We missed one. We Down, sure did. <laughs> Down, this is an important one. It is. Go More for important it. than alcohol, I think. <laughs> um, Down regulation of meat. So yes. I want to actually um, just reflect quickly on when we had Luke Tullick on a while ago, we yeah. did speak a lot about metabolic adaptation, meat levels and those sorts of things, and we went through a few personal experiences as well. So um, that's a really valuable lesson to go back to. Oh, lesson, sorry, podcast. <laughs> well, both. There were lots of lessons in that episode yeah, yeah um if you want to understand more of the nitty-gritty of like what neat is and what's classified etc but um when it comes to metabolic adaptation and also we had holly on who did a really yeah. good um episode of that basically that is i guess underpinning the theory that as we reduce calories our metabolism slows down and i say this loosely as well but i mean like metabolic processes um which i guess burns energy in and out you know that thing that can controls that tightly that down regulates when you're eating less and or if you're losing body weight and becoming a smaller human so yeah this is something that happens more long-term diets so when you're dieting i would say like you know eight nine ten twelve plus weeks um you may experience um down regulation of your metabolism but it's so individualized like some people yep. may not do you know what i mean some people mm. might down regulate work I don't know, 50 calories, yep. but some people might downregulate like a thousand. And yep. the only way you're actually going to know is through experience, to be honest. There's no lab testing that you can get done to be like, yeah, Sherelle, you're adaptive. Like you're going to have to diet on like 500 calories or no, you're sweet. Like you can keep your calories here. I wish. Imagine if there was a device that you could breathe into that was like, set your calorie target as this. Jeez, there you go. That'll be the future. You can paint in that. But, you know, a classic example of down-regulating, we all notice when we're in a calorie deficit, you're not as animated with your hand actions or you might be leaning on the table a little bit more or you might not be up and about or as, as emotive in your expressions or you might not feel like cleaning the house that day. All these little ways that your body is trying to save energy. Um, mm. And, you know, on a more extreme example, losing your period or your immune system, yeah. or your hair, skin and nails, like your body is just recognizing, hang on a minute, I'm in a deficit. Mm. Where can I pull energy from? Is it from less movement 
or yeah. my actual bodily processes. So yeah. yeah, the body's so damn smart. That's why we yeah. need to do it in a slow way. You kind of earn that trust where your body goes, hmm, it's not really a threat because it's like a slow decline. Whereas yeah. if all of a sudden you go, hang on a minute, bang, I'm going to cut a thousand calories a day. Your body mm. will be like, holy shit, I'm in danger. What is going on? And then, you know, try and act accordingly. So yeah, that were just some examples of how we downregulate. Yeah, I don't know. I have like sort of two different views and there's lots of nuances when it comes to metabolic adaptation because it's so like, I don't know, people used to just think their metabolism was broken, right? And mm. they'd go, whereas like it's probably the variables that we've mentioned above yep. or a mild case of this metabolic adaptation. And mm. they also show that like when, like what you said, Danny, it's not just about like your step count. And I just, I love society how we're all like, oh, I'm fighting metabolic adaptation. I'm doing my 10,000 steps. But as you said, Danny, it's more than just your step count. It's like how how quickly you blink. And they mm. even show um, down to like cellular levels, like how efficient your mitochondria is at like producing energy slows mm. down. So like good luck trying to speed that up by like, you know, moving more. You're just never going to compensate. Yeah. And this is why for some people calories have to get low. And I always like to say like low calories aren't bad. It's just bad if you stay there. So you know, just because you might have to diet on 1500 calories doesn't mean you haven't done the work. Doesn't mean that you cook, your metabolism is broken. It may just mean that your metabolism downregulates a lot more than other people. Presuming you're being compliant, you're doing all the things, you're tracking yeah. everything, you know, so hunger is relative as well. And like, if you're hungry on, someone might be starving on 2000 calories, but losing and someone might yep. be, you know, somewhat hungry on 1500, but losing as well. It's all relative. Yeah. And that's why it is important, as you mentioned, to recognize that step count isn't the be all and end all. I mean, it was my starting catalyst to get me into that lifestyle and make those choices as well. But then again, your body will adapt. You're hitting, you know, at the start, it's great. You've gone from five to 10,000 steps, but then if you're hitting 10,000 steps for a while, you will adapt to that. Then you'll need something else and something else. Okay. So yeah, that's how it works. Yeah, for sure. And I think I mentioned with the podcast with Luke as well, um, something I've observed in myself is how adaptive I am to low intensity. So steps, for example, mm. low intensity training, there's only, it's a incredibly time consuming to go, okay, we're going oh, yeah. to 20,000 steps. So for me, a better protocol for me is actually exposing myself to different types of aerobic exercise that my body's not used to mm. and playing cards and dealing with cards that you actually don't use that often, right? That's the, that's everything. We want the oh, body yeah. to not go into like a little bit of a shock, but we want it to be like, out of balance so to speak so that it does start losing but yeah so there is a mixture between you know having consistent variables that we can use as data such as step count or time on a piece of cardio but then as you said adding in that element that's not only sort of a shock to the system but a bit of fun I mean I started playing tennis again like that that. didn't even feel like cardio but I still you know woke up the next day and I needed to recover because my body was like mate you've not picked up a racket in five years what are you doing yeah so that was a fun way to do it as well. So you yeah. can get really creative with it too. Yeah, for sure. And the last point, I guess, is just not enough time. You know, you haven't mm. been dieting for long enough. And I I think it's um, interesting that we get so married on certain times. Like, okay, well, I need a diet for eight. 
12 or 16 weeks. <laughs> like, yeah, we why those it, numbers? Because <laughs> they're sold to us. They're it challenges. Sexy. They sound sexy. sexy. The biggest and loser where they all lose a shit ton of weight and then end up tripling their weight after the show's finished. Yeah, lots of studies Problems done on like that. that. Mm. Yeah. So um, not enough time. And look, Give it time. some people just need a lot longer to, to lose. You can't just force your body to start losing at more rapid rates than what it wants to and then mm. what you're, you can sustain at the rate of loss as well. So yeah. I think just give yourself time. And something I wanted to mention as well is stop changing your calories too frequently. You know, yeah. for me, this has actually been an incredible learning experience for me actually. Um, ben is doing my nutrition. Like Ben can't be doing my nutrition, helping with my macros. Um, and the the... <laughs> The impatient person in me is like, let's have a drop this week. Like, let's get calories going. Let's, yeah, get, yeah. let's go a little bit harder. And he's like, mm. Mm, no, this is why I need a frontal cortex for myself, yeah. right? Mm. And he's like, nah, we just need to sit here. And I'm like, oh, we haven't had a drop in so long. And then sure enough, I'll drop away. I'll just start losing again. And yep. I'm like, hmm, like, what is that? You, you know? And I just think we just have to sit in the place for long enough you know and if we're having weight as well that's other variables that's masking that fat loss like maybe it's actually occurring and it's just the impatience of us which you know we're all humans we all want a result we all want it straight away but if you if someone hasn't gotten a result in three weeks all right cool seek seek help but give yourself at least two weeks like it doesn't have to be every week you're going to have a result no no Mm. but i'm even talking like i hadn't dropped in like one month six weeks, my weight hadn't gone down, um, but I did look visibly leaner. So I was ah, sort of like, that's the thing. I was like, I'm, you know, I've got this one bicep vein that starts to like show that's up. Good. Yeah. yeah. But I was like, it was frustrating me that the scales weren't moving. And I love to be able to share this, right? Because mm. it's not just you guys, like the data junkie in me, like paralysis by analysis is like, well, you know, it's been a month, Ben, what the fuck's going on? And he's yeah. like, nah. No, just leave it, just leave it, just leave it. Mm. And um, it's really interesting. Did I tell you about that, um, that oh, the, the whoosh effect? Did I tell you about that? Yeah, we'll go over it again. Yeah. Do, do we, do we Wait, want not to? On... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to share it because it gave me a lot of almost like clarification of like when I understand things, I'm like, oh, okay, and then I'll be more compliant in doing them. But mm. I was reading about something called the whoosh effect and you can, you can um, Google this. It's like a serious thing. Um, no, what you had last night. Was it after the, um, the old slush? <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's all the same result, isn't it? I feel like I've, uh, I've had my skinny me tea and I'm ready to go. Oh God. <laughs> Don't even get me started. That's another extreme. Um, yeah, who needs skinny me tea when you just got your sugar-free slush oh, from yeah. 7-Eleven? Oh, I'm just sick. <laughs> I'll never do it again. Never. <laughs> um, but yeah, sorry, the whoosh effect. I think this phenomenon is so cool to understand. So something that can happen is um, when you're burning body fat, and this is the theory behind it, um, the triglycerides inside the, the fat cell itself can actually be emptied. So that's the fat inside the cell can be like burnt off because you never get rid of fat cells. They just get bigger and smaller, so mm-hmm. to speak. Um, so the fat cells might actually empty the fat content out of it. But then what can happen is they will fill back up with water temporarily. With how frustrating is that? Yeah, so man. not only does your weight stay the same on the scale, but you actually don't look any different usually either. You, you're mm. still retaining that 
fluid and it's really hard to tell the difference between fluid and fat. You can feel it sometimes. You can feel the difference in it, but visually it's really hard to tell. So the whoosh effect is when these fat cells temporarily fill up. And I've observed this in clients where I don't make any changes um, more than a fortnight. So if someone's in a deficit, I won't change anything for two weeks. That seemed to be a sweet spot until I learned about this. And I was like, what happens after Mm. two weeks? It's almost Mm. like something happens. And then learning it's like this whoosh effect. So fat cells can fill up. Women are more prone to this as well than men. Um, Fat cells fill up with fluid and then you'll have a diuresis. You know, I don't know. Everyone's going to be different whether this happens or not, but you'll have a diuresis and then all of a sudden you lose a kilo or half a kilo yeah and I used to comment on this for myself and say I lose in chunks Mm. you know like oh I might gain a kilo and then lose a kilo and then all of a sudden I'll start maintaining that that chunk that I lost okay and this is the best theory that I can come up with now it's like I was just having that whoosh effect yeah yeah and it's great and thank you for sharing that that's really cool and again important for people to realize give yourself time um but we've gone over so many variables in this episode where hopefully you can sort of have an aha moment if you were worried about the scales not moving or you know feeling like you're not getting results there are so many factors in it okay are you actually in a calorie deficit weight loss can mask fat loss okay the down regulation of neat having alcohol, and then just not giving yourself enough time. Key points there. Yeah. Also why it's incredibly important, like, you know, even I have someone helping me with my dieting phase because I just know how hard it can be to, like, not cut calories or stay or be patient, you know, and sometimes you just need that second input. So whether that's from yep. a coach or someone else or a mentor that could just guide you so that you're not thinking, oh, well, like, you know, you can't see these variables sometimes. And yeah, you, might you not- start to go a bit crazy and emotional about it. Yeah. Especially when you're dieting, right. It's like, yep. you're not hungry enough. So Mm-mm. Hopefully we've been able to bring up some new points and, you know, if you're ever going through um, like a, a plateau with weight loss, like run this like a checklist, just be like going through it and be like, okay, are there any of these variables I need to address? Do I need to be tightening this up? Do I need to give it more time? Do I, you know, need to wait for my period to pass? Like what do I need to do? So Brilliant. We hope you've enjoyed this episode, this quick run over of this, um, the weight loss plateaus. And if you did, please do take a screenshot and tag the Level Up podcast on Instagram. Thank you.